Hello, and welcome to the Jesus People Podcast. Jesus People is an intentional community in the uptown neighborhood of Chicago. I'm Nathan Cameron, and I'm going to be one of your hosts today, interviewing community members about green spaces and community, and not just in Jesus People, but in our neighborhood as well. First, we're going to be talking with Tammy Perlmutter and Laura Thiessen about the Uptown Garden Collective. And Sarah Wright is going to interview longtime community member Ted Gendrick about the green spaces that he cares for in both our community and the neighborhood of Uptown. All right, everybody. So on this segment of today's podcast, we have two people with us from Jesus People who are a part of the Uptown Garden Collective. We have Tammy Perlmutter and Laura Thiessen. Uh, Tammy is the editor and writer for the Mudroom blog site, and Laura works for Cornerstone Community Outreach, our, uh, our shelter that serves uh, people experiencing homelessness. So today we want to talk about what is the Uptown Garden Collective. Hey, Nate. Um, the Uptown Garden Collective is composed of four of us here at Jesus People. It is Laura Thiessen, John Betton, myself, and Megan Filizola. Um, and we're seeking to collaborate in introducing and continuing to live in a green and sustainable lifestyle here in our own urban setting, incorporating gardening and permaculture principles as much as possible. Um, and for those who aren't aware of what sustainability is, it focuses on meeting the needs of the, of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. So it's a responsible land stewardship. And so permaculture is the development of agricultural ecosystems intended to be sustainable and self-sufficient. Um, and each of us has a different focus, a different skill set, um, but we work as a team toward various projects. Wow, that's really great. So what brought this about? Why did you guys start this? Yeah, um, this is Laura, and yeah, uh, as Nate said, um, as you mentioned, I worked for Cornerstone Community Outreach, and I worked on the ladies floor with the um, Naomi House program for three years, and as in January 2020, I wrote a proposal to start a garden project, which involved our community and the shelter, and two things inspired me um, as I worked on the ladies floor gardening really became a joy for me and a therapeutic um, time. And, and I wanted to share that with the ladies I worked with at Naomi House. And then the second thing was um, I, I started to listen to the Urban Farm podcast by Greg Peterson, which really encourages everyone where they're at to grow their own food as much as possible uh, for nutrition and sustainability. So those two things were inspiring me. And then at the end of the summer of 2020, um, as I had permission to start a garden project, John B. Um, joined our community and expressed interest in participating. And he brought more experience in, and he had the past in growing food plants and um, building soil and just a lot more knowledge in that area. And then a few months after that, Tammy and Megan both expressed interest in the garden project. Um, and together we got together and formed UGC, but I just had bumped into Tammy in the dining room and she had asked me questions, which is one of Tammy's gifts. She's very curious. So Tammy, that's when you came in, right? Yes. Um, I was moving through the dining room and you were there with a box and something about worms or something. Oh, I asked you like, oh, what's in the box? And you said, oh, it's seeds. And I'm doing this garden project. Um, and then she mentioned vermicomposting too, which is basically, you know, making your own soil through worms. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was like, I want to see the worms. So she took me over to see the worms. <laughs> I, and I told her about, was going through a course called the Con Chicago Conservation Corps Sustainability Leadership. And that was put on by the Peggy Notebear Nature Museum. And it's all about, you know, recycling and composting and water management and all kinds of things. But at the end of it, your final project is something that benefits your neighborhood. And C3 would give you then $250 towards your project. And so when Laura was telling me about the 
the rooftop garden, I was like, well, let me help. And then I can put this money towards that garden. Mm. And so they, they had a meeting, John and Laura, that day. And so after we looked at the worms, I went and just sat in this meeting and said, hey, can I be a part of this? <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the, the garden that you guys are talking about then, that's actually on, where is it again? Is that the roof of CCO? Is that, is that what I gather? Yes. One of the gardens or is, is being made this year, this spring for the first time on the roof of um, Hannah House, which is above the cafeteria of the, of the shelter. But also, um, as we'll explore more, like we hope to expound and find space for our community to also grow more. Um, so we're exploring other options, but the one garden we have right now is Hannah House. Okay. Well, that's great. And so um, what future projects do you have in the works? Like for the spring, um, you know, and for the summer, like what, what are your, what are your goals for like right now in this garden project? Sure. Um, we have a gift of be, having access to property in Moni for our community to kind of have a respite from urban lifestyle. Um and it's about 40 minutes away. And so. It, and that's, that's like 40 minutes outside of Chicago, right? Correct. And so it's a little woods, woods and field area. And I think for, for us, we're allowed to use like about six acres and there's a little trailer put on it. Um, but so the Manui property is a place where we can experiment with more permaculture principles, like Tammy said, and experiment with the, um, working with nature and learning from nature on how to garden. And Megan Filizola is our point person for the Moni project. She's been amazing at helping close the loop for us with um, our compost. We have more in our community than we can actually use right now. And so she uh, really filled, uh, filled a link in that um, she helped us um, build Hugo culture beds in Moni, which Hugo culture is, called a mound or a hill culture where where you um, dig a small shallow ditch. Ours is like six foot by two feet and you fill it with old wood, which we have plenty of in Moni, which permaculture is using what you have and around you. And then you, on top of the wood, you put the compost and, and um, coffee grounds and um, we put leaves and dirt. And then the wood decomposes and, and the... Um, the moisture and the nutrients from the wood feed the soil to feed the plants. So you don't have to be there watering it all the time. So it's sustainable for us in Moni where we only get to go once a week. So Megan is also working on other, other projects we could do that are sustainable to only be able to visit once a week there. Um, yeah. So now I, if I understand correctly, like the, that process it takes a long time to, to happen. Like it doesn't just happen in a couple of months. Um, so this is what you guys are talking about is really a long-term project, like over many, many years. I think it's twofold. That uh, We hope to be able to plant this summer on top of the hugo cultures and the wood is already really broken down. So it, it will already be starting to feed them. Um, but this, again, we're new at this and it's experimenting. So we're going to find out and we'll tell you at the end of the summer how things grow on top <laughs> of those beds, but we're going to keep building them because we have all the materials we need for those. And, um, but yes, we would hope also that we're doing things that in the long term um, will also reap benefits. And then also John Fenton is kind of our point person for exploring how Japan our community can um, grow more and like exploring options there for creatively using our small urban space and not having really land access. So, and he's also grows microgreens and salad greens and he offers the microgreens to anyone in the community. Um, and he like, he repurposes things a lot in our community. We, we try, it, love being able to repurpose different things that we're using. Like he works in the kitchen, so he repurposes old foil pans and does microgreens in them. And he um, also is our connection, like Tammy said, to, to use coffee grounds. So just learning how to close the loop of waste is really 
he and he's got a lot of vision for that. Um, Tammy um, has a project on top of the roof, which you alluded to earlier, Tammy, with C3. Yes. Um, so one of the things that I really wanted to do was to grow native grasses and also um, pollinators. So any kinds of flowers and grasses that are native to the area, um, but also are attract bees, which then of course closes another loop of pollination. Um, and to add to Laura's talk about compost, um, at Jesus People, unfortunately due to COVID, we've had to use styrofoam containers for our meals, which breaks so many people's hearts. Um, but Ted Jindrick was able to find a place that will mm. recycle styrofoam. Um, and so that was a relief to many of us. And so there's a bunch of us who are involved with cleaning the styrofoam and getting it out to the processing plant. Um, and also with the compost, it's, it's compost from Jesus People, right? So it's um, dinner scraps, fruits and vegetable scraps, um, and that we then put in bins in back of our house. And, um, and we're also doing vermicomposting, which is using worm poop, which actually is called castings, and, and creating our own soil, too, from mulch that we get free from the Chicago Park District, um, and also very gratefully from everybody's coffee, their coffee grounds, which we have been using as compost as well. Wow, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I dabbled in vermiculture a little bit when, uh, when I had uh, a little garden, uh, a little, it was a four by four garden box that I grew vegetables with. And uh, vermiculture is a really cool thing. For all of you out there who are looking for uh, a really cool way uh, to create some compost for yourself, uh, look into vermiculture. <laughs> it's yeah. really cool. And, uh, and actually, even though it may sound gross, uh, worms and worm poop and all that kind of stuff, it's actually very clean. Uh, and it doesn't smell, and it it's very very uh, excellent for gardening, um, even for flower gardens um, or vegetable gardens. Uh, really adds a lot of great nutrients to the soil. So kudos to you guys for vermiculture. Very cool, Tammy. You had mentioned that uh, part of your project is to grow uh, grasses and. Um, pollen producing plants for bees. And I know you had also um, at one point worked with a hot, you know, having a beehive as well. So just having that part of your, of your uh, permaculture history as well. Yes. It was for the Weiss rooftop garden. The Weiss hospital had given a space on top of their parking garage to have a rooftop farm. Um, and, the Bittners had chickens and there was tons of raised beds and they needed someone to do bees. And so I, I, I volunteered. I had didn't know anything about it, but loved the idea. Um, and so for two years, yeah, we, um, me and Bethany Wright had done, you know, caring for the bees. And then the parking lot got redone and everything got destroyed. Um, and so we're still, that's so that was like a year and a half ago. We're still recovering from that but I'm really hoping to get back into it and possibly even on one of our roofs, um, start a couple hives. Mm. Oh, that's great. All the stuff that you guys are doing sounds so awesome, but let me go back to uh, your partnership with Cornerstone Community Outreach. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what that looks like and sort of what your goals are moving on in the future there. Yep. We are beginning the rooftop garden, which is next to the playground that we have, for the women and children's program that's on the top of the roof near their court, like where their living area is and, and on top of the dining room area. And um, we want to give the shelter guests an opportunity to be in a beautiful green space and connect with growing things and um, be able to participate in growing things in the earth and just be able to see where food comes from, especially for the kids. Um, for all of us, but, but just being able to connect with kids and maybe plant a little seed there and their um, hearts and visions for where their food comes from and what, how they can be involved. And then um, just let, like with Tammy's C3 project being up there with flowers um, and attracting bees and butterflies, seeing the kids can see a part of the ecosystem that their food comes from and be, and they can be involved in that. Um, so, like Tammy said, Isaac built 
eight. Um, or she didn't say, yep, but she will <laughs> mention this. Isaac um, was involved in helping us with that. And I'll, I'll let her talk about that. But um, yeah, Isaac, so Isaac Ingerson, he's uh, one of uh one of our young men here at Jesus people who was doing an Eagle Scout project. And part of his Eagle Scout project was to build these raised beds for Cornerstone community outreach. That's, that's correct, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. He was in need of a project. Um, and so he, along with his team of friends and leaders built eight planter boxes. There are, there are three levels of planter boxes and each of them holds eight no, it holds 12 buckets. Yep. And so that's, we have 96 now, 96 spaces for buckets. Um, and so he, yeah, he helped design it and helped build all of that. And he did, yes, he did get his Eagle Scout rank. Yes, he did just recently. So congratulations, Isaac Ingerson. And thank you for being part of this, this project. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one question for you guys real quick. So why is it important? Why do you guys think it's important for, um, people to know where their food comes from, to see the processes of growing food, to be uh, involved in that. Why is that important? I'll jump in and then Tammy, if you feel free that you want to add more, but um, I think this last year with COVID, everybody kind of woke up to um, the fragility of our current food system and how, far our food has to travel to get to the supermarket and um just it's really empowering to be able to to grow your own food um even just herbs on your windowsill or like like the podcast I've been listening to just encourage you to start somewhere and um when we can grow our own food we also get more nutrition from it when food is picked and then shipped and, and um the nutrition depletes every day. So when we grow our own food, we're, we're helping um, our own bodies and get more nutrition. Um, and what do you think this, what do you think is the impact on some of our residents at Cornerstone Community Outreach? What do you think the impact on them is to be involved in a project like this? It has more than one um, opportunity. I, I'm sorry, I can't think of the right words, but it's it's very complex uh, opportunity for them to both see where their food comes from if they haven't, but many of them might have experience growing, but to be able to have a space to grow their own food, to watch that process is really um, kind of miraculous to watch it grow and, and um, see how the bees are involved and everything. And then also just to be in a beautiful uh, space where plants are growing is therapeutic um, for, for our minds and our bodies and they're going through a lot of stress. And so we're just hoping it can be a space where they can take a deep breath and kind of come and focus on these growing plants. And also your hands in soil, actually the soil has um, uh, things that you absorb through it, putting your hands in the soil that, that help you also. <laughs> yeah. And Tammy, for you, like, what do you think is the benefit for community members, for Jesus people, community members to be involved uh, in the garden collective? What do you think is the advantage there? What do you think people can get out of being a part of the collective as a part of Jesus people? Well, as always, um, just playing community, I think. Um and the act of like teaming up together to create something beautiful and to be able to witness that accomplishment, I think is, is just a big deal. Um, and the fact that gardening has been proven to improve your mood um, and to relieve stress. And so I think also it has a therapeutic component. Um, and also like we want to create green spaces, not just at Jesus people, but wherever we can, whether that's like trying to get an empty lot to start a community garden, because we call it Uptown Garden Collective, because we don't want it just to be the Jesus People Garden Collective. We want it to be open to people in the community, in our neighborhood. And we've already had, you know, two people so interested and in wanting to volunteer with us. And so I think it's also a way to give back to our neighborhood. Oh, that's great. 
Well, is there some way that people can come alongside you and support you? Uh, do you guys have like a website or social media or something like that where people can connect with you, maybe volunteer or maybe donate in some way? Yes. One of our um, plans for Hannah House Rooftop Garden is to present workshops to the women um, on, you know, whether it's medicinal herbs or making your own salves or uh, making your own tea. And um, hopefully we'd like to get involved with some Chicago organizations that would help train women for green jobs. So basically garden centers and home depots and landscape places too as well. Um, and so we will need some support for that financially to be able to pay the people who come. Um, and we've already had Gina Roxas, who is an ethnobotanist, um, express interest in coming and doing a workshop with our women. Um, and she is a Native American woman. And so we're trying to incorporate as well um, as many people of color as we can in this gardening process. Um, and one thing I do want to mention um, is that we do have a land acknowledgement, um, which I feel like is an, just an incredible way to sort of acknowledge, of course, like what, where, whose land this was before we took it over. And if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to read that now. No, absolutely. Please do. Um, we'd like to respectfully acknowledge that the city of Chicago is on the traditional homelands of the Miami, Peoria, and Potawatomi peoples. And we also acknowledge with respect the diverse histories and cultures of all original peoples of this region. And we lament the broken promises made to them and their systematic marginalization. And we thank them for their generous hospitality by holding a space for them in our endeavors. And, um, and so on top of that, if you want to help, we have, um, you can go to our website. It's uptowngardencollective.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter using the Uptown Garden Collective handle. Um, uptowngardencollective.com backslash give is where you can give financially if you'd like to or give materials. Like we're always looking for soil and 10 quart buckets um, and things like that. And, um, and if you'd like to volunteer your time, also on that same web page on our website is um, a way to, to contact us if you'd like to volunteer your time. And so we're always looking for people who want to help um, come alongside and help us plant, help us harvest, help us um, build our hugel culture beds. You know, Eric Clayton and Drexel Clayton came alongside us a couple weeks ago and, and helped dig and build these hugel culture beds. And we're so thankful for them and their contribution. Um, and so, yeah, so that's a couple different ways that we can um, help people who want to learn more about gardening and who want to volunteer their time. All right. Well, that sounds so great. Thank you, ladies, uh, just for um, taking on this project and for having the vision and the, yeah, just the get up and go to do this. Um, I know I appreciate it as a, as a former gardener. Uh, I love gardening and I am, I totally agree with you in the therapeutic uh -huh. uh, abilities of gardening that it has on your soul. And, um, and so it just, it makes me feel really good to see you guys doing this and to be, to have it be a part of our community uh, as Jesus people, as Cornerstone Community Outreach and Uptown. Like, you know, to have it be a part of all of those things is really great. Just so grateful for you guys. And uh, we wish you guys the best of luck and really hope that this project takes off and, and really fulfills all of its promises and potential. So thank you guys for being here. Um, and yeah, we'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right, thanks, Thank Nate. you, Nate. Yep, all right, bye. Bye. Hello, my name is Sarah Wright, and thank you for coming to this segment of the Jesus People podcast. Today we have with us special guest, Ted Jindrick. We're gonna be talking a little bit about um, our care for the world as a community. Um, so Ted, before we get started on all that stuff, uh, how long have you been here? What have been some of the things that you've done uh, living here in the community? Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I, I've been with the Jesus People community since 1973. Wow. I was 16, year, 16 years old when I came, and I'm still here. Uh, and so I've done a lot of different things uh, as we've, you know, changed along the way and grown along the way. I would say mostly I've been a breadwinner mm -hmm. uh, for the most of, most of the time, and I've done 
started doing moving. Uh, when I got married, my wife and I would go tree planting in the fall, winter, and spring. I'd come back and uh, do carpentry work. Uh, and so for a number of years, I was on our carpentry crew after we quit tree planting, building porches, doing renovations, uh, installing windows, and eventually we opened a custom cabinetry uh, business, creative wood design. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked there for a number of years, and then oh, it's been probably 20 plus years I've been doing maintenance for one of our businesses, uh, renting low-income senior citizens. Okay, awesome. That's great. Um, so I hear the term tree planting thrown out a lot, but I don't really quite, like when people are reminiscing and, and telling stories or whatever, can you explain a little bit about what that is? Because I've never really been super clear on on what the tree planting was. Well, tree planting was quite an adventure. We'd either work uh, down south in the winter or in the spring out west. Um, and we'd camp in tents uh, out on, you know, uh, the property of who we were planting for or for the, uh, for the state. The ladies uh, that came with us, they mostly did the cooking and shopping, which sometimes meant driving a long distance from the middle of nowhere into town. Uh, but so we'd get up and we just we planted small little trees. You'd fit 50 to 100, 200 in a tool belt around your waist. <laughs> and, uh, and you just pull them all one at a time, make a hole, pop that tree in there. and. So this is a way for the ministry to make money back in the day? It was a way for the ministry to make money when uh, parts of the year when some of our businesses were slower. Yeah. Okay. And all then right. when, that no longer, when that was longer, really, the, the story and needed, then we just, we, we you know, weaned that out. Mm -hmm. the tree planting business so you guys just kind of like had different teams and you kind of went out and yeah shifts or whatever how long did you guys usually stay out there uh i think uh, uh um i don't remember uh, exactly the, the month to month you know out west we you, know, you had to be finished before it was going to start getting warm um, but we planning higher in altitude, uh, so there would, sometimes there'd be, still be some snow around. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of fun. Really, it was a lot of fun camping. Uh, Did you guys come across any crazy wildlife while you were out there? Uh, nothing really. Nothing bad. No, maybe some deer, elk, or something, but nothing like no grizzly bears or mountain lions or anything like that. That's great. Um, so, uh, what what do you do for uh, hobbies uh, here in the community? What are some of the things that that you do? Uh, for hobbies, I've always uh, I've always made stuff out of wood. Um, I built a lot of furniture that my wife and I had uh, in our room. Stuff for my I have four children, uh, and as they were growing up, I always built their bunk beds and. Uh, everything and, and it's kind of been fun because you know at one point there was no way I was gonna have money to go buy something at the store so mm -hmm. I just keep an eye out where I was working for scrap lumber and mm -hmm. it was always kind of fun just putting things together with what I had or what what I found mm -hmm. um, also do stained glass chip carving uh, but mostly building things out of wood a lot of picture frames okay <laughs> all right all right. And more recently, when I turned 57, <laughs> a group of uh, guys who normally uh, run the Mar Chicago Marathon uh, to raise money for our homeless shelter, Cornerstone Community Outreach, uh, they were going to do an obstacle course race. Oh, fun. And I kind of heard about that. And I thought, wow, that sounds really fun. And they were like, oh, yeah, you should come do it. And I said, well, how far? They said six miles. I said, there is no way. You know, I can't run six miles. I can't run down the block. Uh, if I want to go someplace, I'm going to walk or I'm going to ride my bike. Yeah. Um, and they kind of kept poking at me when they'd see me and asking me about it. And I finally thought, you know, I'm going to do this. It looks really fun. So uh, I'd, I'd run home from the parking garage a block and a half away and I'd run there. And then I just kind of built up because I had, I had time before the race. And by the time the race came, I was ready and I beat some of the guys that... <laughs> 
I was running with. And then they started in on me, okay, now you got to do the marathon. And I was, no, there is no way I'm running a marathon. That was like the furthest thing from my mind um, that I would do. But, uh, but then a year later, there I was, I was training for the marathon. And in 2015, I did my first marathon and I think I've done 13. Oh, Since then. wow. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say you were bit by the running bug. Huh? I am bit by the running bug. I love any, as, as anytime I go home to visit family or my wife's family or anybody, I always find a place to go running. And it's just a nice way to see different things and relax and get out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I know you've done several races um, raising money for for Cornerstone with our um, fitness uh, team that we have. I think I think Team CCO. So I what I so I still really I, I I like the marathons, but I really love the Tough Mudder, the Spartan, and the Savage Race, which which are tough. But uh, in my home down there's a ski flying hill. What? And about three years ago, Red Bull. Uh, who does these all over Europe and Asia where there are ski jumps. It's got to be a country that is a ski jump. Okay. Uh, it's called the Red Bull 400, and it's a run from the landing, up the landing slope, onto the ski jump, and then to the top of the ski jump. What? And it's it's just a killer race. When I saw that, I thought, oh, my gosh, my hometown, this Copper Peak, uh, Red Bull 400 Copper Peak, I've got to do it. Uh and so that's been one of my fundraisers too. And I, I did pretty good there too. And, and I also, last year, I took on doing the, uh, the run up the Hancock. Oh, yeah. And uh, when I finished, I was in fourth place of my age group. I thought, oh my gosh, wow. I, wish I, I wish I had known I would have I tried to run a little faster. <laughs> that was so close, you could have won it. Or at least gotten a medal. That's awesome. I didn't realize that you had run so many races. I mean, I knew about like the the Bank of America, but the ski slip one, that sounds really fun. Um, so uh, now that we've learned a little bit about you, um, again, we're talking about uh, care for the world as a community, um, but not just in our four walls, but also uh, our community, the neighborhood of Uptown, our community, the city of Chicago. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, what are some of the ways that you found um, to contribute um, to that, that care for the world um, first in our four walls? So you have a couple of things that you are kind of in charge of um, and well, kind of I, help put I think together. In, in our four walls, you know, uh, it's probably been helping people sometimes with construction things. Uh, I also do window. Uh, I've kept up on the window insulation in our own building. So, you know, we've, uh, you know, tried to, the, tried to upgrade the building and, you know, for, for energy saving and also just because some of the windows are really old and need to replace. So that's a regular thing I do. I'm also on call in the building for emergencies for our seniors rooms and some it's an old building so the plumbing issues leaks this and that but um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back to the 80s when we lived in a different neighborhood when we had first moved to uptown the neighbor we're in it was a really rough neighborhood um, and we had started the homeless shelter in our own dining room and had a food program and uh, all of a sudden the building right next to us was like a little village of Cambodian refugees. I mm -hmm. mean, almost the entire building. Uh, and uh, a few of us just wanted to kind of reach out and help because we knew that these people were stuck in a really rough neighborhood mm -hmm. and a completely different culture than that they were used to. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that started a long period of just, you know, visiting and you know, helping out with questions and uh, just whatever whatever was needed. I've always been interested in people from other countries and other countries and here this here these people were authentic and they were right next door. But so that was really great. We still have one of those families still a lady calls us every year around New Year's and says hello how is your wife how is she knows the children by name you know how are your children um and she so it it's been it's made an impression um 
and that's also been a great thing for me also with having been able to work with South Sudanese people like around 2000 when they started coming more in a group called the Lost Boys of Sudan uh, spent a lot of time working with other church groups and non-church group people to form an organization to help raise money for education mm-hmm. and again just we here you have this group of people who are just like thrown into a completely different world coming here mm-hmm. coming right out of a refugee camp a lot of them had been orphaned and through war uh, and everything and they had a lot of questions and just providing an opportunity for them to meet once a week ask questions have a meal together mm-hmm. um, and just help them find their way and and more recently we had the great opportunity of housing a Syrian family for a week while their agency uh, found them housing and I just stayed in touch with them and uh, they have seven seven children and these kids are just so uh, creative and energetic and outgoing and you go over there and I'm just telling you they're just pulling you into <laughs> doing something every time and there are a couple of boys they've helped me build this whole fort in their basement yeah uh, and the kids all the all the girls the boys they all came down and helped paint it and uh, uh, and they're like, you know, ask me, oh, can we expand this and can we do this? <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> so that's it's it. And again, again, it's like I ha- you have this authentic, you know. So I, you know, I had all my own impressions of a Muslim family and everything, and then I realized, oh, these people are just really quite. Uh, they have their different religion, but other than that, you know, they're just people just like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's such a, a witness, and a, a witness to the witness to them, and such a blessing to me in my own life to know that you've been able to just help these people, encourage them, and brighten their day, and, and help them as they try to uh, get over the things that they've experienced and to start a new life and keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> wow. Uh, another thing that I've been involved in uh, with the pandemic. We had to change our cafeteria to packaged food and we started using polystyrene pockets and it just I know it it was it was a downer for me to get my food in this piece of polystyrene that I knew was just gonna go in a landfill. Uh, same with a lot of other people, but there's really not many options out there. There were no option that I knew of of, mm-hmm. of recycling it. Uh, and another uh, person in a neighborhood group uh, told somebody, oh, that uh, that there is a place to recycle it. And I'm forgetting the name of who's the. Uh, it's Dart, isn't Dart. it? Dart. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, and so uh, a neighbor informed us that Dart, who is the manufacturer of most of the uh, most of those pocket food pockets that you buy and styrofoam cups. Uh, that they actually have a 24-hour recycling center. Unfortunately, it's at like 76th and Pulaski, so it's about an hour drive one way, mm-hmm. but we decided, oh, let's go for it. Um, and so we collect on the floors and collect in the by the main uh, dishwashers. They just have to be washed out clean, um, and then we package them up. Uh, I mean, we pack them back up, uh, and when we get a van full, then we drive them down. And so, it's, uh, although I prefer to not be using them at all, uh, it's really nice to know that we can take the effort. Yeah. And it is there's a little bit of effort to do it, um, but to take and get them so they can be recycled. And I think Dart makes uh, picture frames and house moldings uh, out of what they recycle. Yeah. How often do you uh, take a load down? You guys fill a whole minivan full, right? Yeah, it's uh, every two to three weeks. I haven't really kept track of it, but uh, maybe every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we so have, we have we like really pack. We really package everything back into tight containers, um, so they don't take up. Otherwise, you just have to take up so much space. You'd be going every other day. Right. Yeah. We have uh, people on each floor who it's kind of like their task to keep an eye on it. Right. Um, and then, yeah, after it's all washed and collected, I mean, it, it's not that 
not that bad of a drive. I feel like it's worth it for as much, you oh, know, as yeah. what we're keeping out of the out of the landfills. It's just down there by Midway, so it's right. It's south. Just of, off, it's south of Midway. It's just a, off it's a the way, highway, but it there. is worth it. Yeah, it's worth it if you wanna. If you want to recycle, if you want to do good things, mm-hmm. it takes some effort. And you can treat yourself to tacos on the way home. There's great tacos down there. <laughs> That's right. So in addition to all the work that you've done um, in the house uh, and care for people that we've hosted, um, also you've uh, been pretty integral in the um, care of our shared space in the side yard. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it is that you do there and how you care for that space? Sure, I, I guess I've kind of always been drawn to growing things also. Uh, and so when we had the really nice, so fortunate, we're so fortunate to have such a nice large side yard space for, you know, for basketball and the kids playground. And we also have such a nice garden. Um, and I've always liked to grow uh, plants. Um, so it's it's been a great opportunity too to to take care of that and it's a you know it's a nice space for the birds there's uh, i know it's a nice place for people to be able to come out and just sit and have a cup of coffee mm-hmm. if they're you know got someone who's coming to visit they want to just talk for a little while to sit in the garden shaded the trees and the flowers and so it's just a healthy healthy space for everyone and and, and besides that um uh, I've had the opportunity just, uh, you know, we live close to the lake here. It's only about you know, three quarters of a mile. And there's one area on the beach uh, that around 1997, 98, that they just kind of let it go and let stuff, gro- stuff start growing there. And then, and then eventually they put a fence around. I thought, holy cow, I can't believe the park district is, you know, going to let something happen here on this beach. And it's become a, just a very dynamic uh, it's called the Montrose Beach Dunes. It's become a very dynamic habitat, uh, again, for, uh, for a lot of people to come and enjoy, and uh, birders, and just people strolling uh, through. And right adjacent to that is the Montrose Point Bird Sanctuary, which, according to the Audubon Society, it's the best birding spot in the state of Illinois because it's on just a migratory path. So in the spring and the fall, there's so many birds. I, I'm, I've been down there before, really, and and you know talked to a few birds and and, and looked up in a couple of trees, and I thought like it's like a fruit bowl. There's like orange and blue and brown and black and gold and white and tan, just everything. Uh, and it's only certain times of the year, but um, oh, it's often you can often see hawks and owls and. Uh, again, there's coyote down there, and uh, it's, so I so I volunteered. So I started volunteering down there, and eventually uh, took on the position of the volunteer steward for the park district at the bird sanctuary uh, for a few years, um, and that's also been a great way to give back to the community because I'll I'll meet people down there, and they'll say, you know, this is just my favorite place in the city. It's just so important. This is a place I come and get away and my mother came from England and she had heard about this place in England and she wants to come and go birding here I never birded in my life but now I come here all the time Uh, so when you say Montrose Beach I think uh, dog park and baby diapers floating in the water you know it's uh, again we're so fortunate because the Montrose Beach does encompass so much it's the Mm -hmm. dog beach at one end the dunes at the other the swimming and the volleyball and everything else in between it's just that it's the city is so fortunate to have uh, the lake and the lakefront for everyone to come out and enjoy Mm -hmm. I know uh, me and my sisters usually try and go out at least once uh, during the winter try and find a day where it's not quite as windy or cold and just do a little stroll through and this past year I guess I never really realized how many cardinals were out there and we're just walking through and there's one like on the branch and so then we're just you know looking at them and then there's three on the branch and then I turn around and there's eight and then I turn around and there's like 20 cardinals and they're all like two feet away from me just all on this branch I guess 
hoping that we have a snack in our pocket or something. But they it was, obviously got fed. It was an Alfred fed, Hitchcock yeah. moment, and I'm like, okay, I think we need to leave now. Uh, this is making me uncomfortable. Yeah, this is so beautiful, though. What's really beautiful with the Cardinals is when there's been a fresh snow. Yeah. And then you have these red birds flying around there. Just mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot less people in the winter. But it's just a beautiful spot in the winter, too, to get out to. Now, the dunes, I, I saw somewhere on the news, there's something special about something happening in the dunes right now. Uh, tell us there, there's a special uh, I, I birds or something, yeah, so, some rare birds that are nesting there or something. So just to give credit to the work that the volunteers have done down there, making this a great natural area, um, is that uh, three years ago, piping plovers Mm-hmm. came through and a piping plover is a federally endangered bird i believe there's 68 70 mating pair wow it, um, and so they came through and it's not uncommon for them to be seen passing through mm-hmm. but they haven't nested there the first last time they nested there they say in 1955 in in chicago i don't know about montrose beach yeah um and so it was it was a big deal yeah i mean uh you know uh the fish and wildlife everybody was out uh, and, as, and as soon as they were going to make a nest, well, then they fenced off a huge area and they put a little cage. Once they lay their eggs, they put a little cage, mm-hmm. not a little cage, they put a cage over the nest so the birds can get in and out, but a raccoon couldn't or a stray dog or oh, uh, okay. anything like that. So, so they, they've succeedingly uh, nested and, and hatched and raised chicks. Uh, the last two years mm-hmm. and they're back again this year wow and it, it's really a big deal that's awesome yeah. wow thank you for uh, all of your efforts volunteering out there and for mm-hmm. all the other volunteers if any of you are listening uh, thank you for making that a space where they can uh, come and nest and well this is this is kind of silly too but uh, you know so this there's the sidewalk and for people who don't know there's a sidewalk in front of our house and it goes along the building, and then it's a side wall that goes along our garden, our mm-hmm. playground area. And it's probably 30, 40 feet at least. And I'd always clean up out there, and I was always pulling weeds out of the crack at the base of the wall and the sidewalk. And so one year I thought, you know, I'm picking all these weeds, and then I'm going to plant a bunch of marigolds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit hassle to water, just this little thin crack. Uh, but once once they get going and get growing well, they, they do good. So every year, um, I usually plant some marigolds, alyssum, some zinnias. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've and I, when doing that, I've had people come by and go, are you the one who plants those flowers there? And so I just think, okay, good. I'm mm-hmm. glad that yeah. people appreciate this when they walk by and they notice it and they like it. Yeah, a little bit of street beautification. I know for many years you've been in charge, uh, well, help uh, we have at the at Cornerstone uh, Community Outreach, we have flower boxes and stuff. We try and do like uh, street beautification every spring to be a good neighbor. Um, and you've been a part of that for quite a while as well. I have, yes, I have gone out and bought the flowers and, uh, and then come back and let them help get volunteers and mm-hmm. uh, plant all the flower boxes yeah it's so nice to have the flowers on the street over there too oh for sure i my office is right there off the street so uh anytime there's little kids walking back and forth i hear all the little interactions with their parents uh where they have to stop and and look at everything and smell everything and they're just so happy uh, something as simple as just i mean not even the fanciest you know flowers we're not we don't have like you know award-winning roses or anything but something as simple as that really uh can make a difference so yeah thanks for being a part yeah, of that green space green space and even that much of a just a planner makes a big difference mm-hmm. for people as they walk by yep i think we're waiting for um what is it the last freeze uh supposed to be is it may 15th i think is when they say after that it should be safe to plant again so we're waiting to get started this year we're going to plant there soon Mm -hmm. yeah great i know uh for those of you who are in the uptown area there's going to be some um art walks that the city is going to be hosting down clifton avenue so this year it won't just be us um appreciating uh all the green space it'll be uh 
people who are participating in these art walks, many of them who are going to be coming from out of town, the city's going to be hosting these. So um, it'll be really neat to have more people uh, appreciating that. Um, it's such a huge part, these, these green spaces. Uh, yes, we are an urban community um, living here in, in Chicago, but it, these green spaces really are such a big part um, of our lives here. Uh, we have the Winthrop Garden down the street, and until recently we had a rooftop garden um, that many people participated in at Weiss. And I know for me, some of the some of my most vivid memories here in community are in that side yard, in the garden, uh, graduations, birthday parties, um, saying goodbye, um, like celebrating people as they're moving out of the community, throwing them a party, um, uh, community gatherings where we have our, you know, like weekly meetings where we catch up on everything and have music and worship and, you know, a word or reflection together. Um, I think one of my very first memories at Japuza is um, sitting in the side yard with my sisters. Um, one of our friends had made uh, ginger tea that was way too strong and my mom had brought a bunch of books from the library and we had there were probably like 30 people who just gathered in the in the garden we all pulled up a chair and had ginger tea and my mom read kids storybooks to all of us <laughs> and it was great it was magical the sun was going down and uh it's always been a really special place to uh you know have quiet time with the lord or like you said have um conversations uh with friends so yeah, yeah green space can be very healing very definitely change the atmosphere of of what's there yeah absolutely uh, it's it's such a juxtaposition of like what's happening just on the other side of that wall uh, sometimes <laughs> so um, I just wanted to say thank you for what you do to keep that space um, going and for all of the people who chip in you know when we have work days or or yeah. whatever people will come down and help weed and clean up and get ready for the new year so um, yeah thanks for being a part of that it's my pleasure and another thing, you know, it's a healthy, it's a healthy option to get you away from your screen or the TV or, mm -hmm. or just from being inside to get out and get some fresh air and, and move. So for those of us that play Animal Crossing, uh, <laughs> we can log out from uh, <laughs> planting and cultivating uh, rare flowers on our islands and we can go into the side yard and do it for ourselves in real life. That's right. Just tell me you want to volunteer. I'll tell you when to water and when to weed and <laughs> keep you busy. All right. That sounds good. Well, thanks for being with us here today, Ted, and for telling us a little bit about um, about yourself and some of the projects and green spaces that we have around here. Um, and just thank you for your, your care um, for the community um, and for others. It's been really great to, uh, to hear about it. Uh, you're welcome. It blesses me just as much, so no problem. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to the Jesus People Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and leave a review. Make sure you hit the notification button so that you know when future episodes of the Jesus People Podcast are released. If you would like to contact us, please send an email to jppodcast at jpusa.org. Thanks for listening.